Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson. Hello and welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson. With harvest being completed in a timely manner last fall, many farmers were able to plant cover crops and see a lot of biomass accumulation before winter. Now that the spring temperatures are beginning to rise, the overwintering species in those cover crops are breaking dormancy and beginning to grow again. As you consider planting this spring, you may be asking yourself, how and when should I terminate those cover crops? To have that discussion with us today, we have Megan Anderson, Iowa State Extension Field Specialist. Welcome, Megan. Hey, thanks for having me. Excellent. So, Megan, could you just uh, introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, so I'm an extension field agronomist in central Iowa uh, for Iowa State University. I, I serve a nine-county territory in the center part of the state and am kind of here for all things uh, crop production as far as questions, concerns, education that anybody might need. Uh, but my pet area of interest has always been uh, weed management and cover crops is a close second. Excellent. So that makes you a great expert in our discussion today. <laughs> so in your travels and talking with your other colleagues how do the cover crops look across iowa this spring well they're certainly greening up early uh this spring um but it really depends on what part of the state you're in because honestly uh, the western really half of iowa was awfully dry last year mm-hmm. and i think in some cases that meant that uh the cover crops just didn't get quite as much growth on them as we would normally see um but now that we're starting to see things green up and it does seem like it's a bit early this spring we expect that we'll see uh hopefully quite a bit of growth on them here uh in the time between they green up and when we want to terminate them absolutely we're seeing a bit of that here in nebraska as well that that a lot more growth, and especially in the rye this spring, earlier than we've seen you know, in general years. Now, Iowa got hit by, by the derecho last year, those, those great winds that came through a lot of the state from the northwest down through the southeast of the state. How did the derecho impact cover crops? Yeah, so the derecho came through on August 10th, and it really depends, you know, it depends a lot on kind of the uh, – the goals of an individual farmer, but I think a lot of people were uh, less likely to put cover crops in mm-hmm. in some of those derecho affected areas just because uh, you couldn't really very effectively fly, uh, you know, a cover crop se- cover crop seed onto corn that was flat as a pancake, and there was a lot of just that residue on the ground, and people really focused on managing. Um, what had happened as a result of the derecho, but there are definitely farmers who still seeded uh, cover crops, especially in um, stuff that they were able to harvest and get it done after harvest, but we did have a little bit of a slower harvest in that kind of central to east central part of the state as well that slowed things down a bit. Uh, So I think adoption was probably down, Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, there's definitely still cover crops out there. Oh, absolutely. So, Megan, you mentioned this just a little bit before, but could you remind us why farmers generally use cover crops and those objectives that they may have? Yeah, it's uh, there's a, a lot of different goals that any one farmer may have, and you know what one farmer uh, their reasoning for using a cover crop may be totally different than uh, another farmer. So the big ones are sort of I 
talk about like the feel good things, right? The mm-hmm. water quality benefits. Um, a lot of people like to see the green cover out on fields. Uh, we get soil health benefits as a result. Uh, definitely. Those are things that are, I would say they're less tangible on a year by year basis. They're harder to, for us to measure, mm-hmm. but they absolutely are there. And we know that if we study them really closely, we can monitor them over a long period of time. Uh, But some of the other big ones might be like weed management Mm -hmm. uh, or holding on to nitrogen that you've applied in the fall, like maybe with manure um, and making sure that 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 nitrogen isn't going to leave the system and that you may be able to use it for a future crop. Uh, So there's a lot of good reasons to use cover crops, probably way more than I've made. (laughs) Exactly. There's, There's an awful lot of reasons. And those reasons may actually impact when people want to terminate their cover crop. And so... Given those different objectives, how, how would those each impact the timing of termination before planting your cash crop? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, generally, uh, you're going to get more of those different benefits by allowing the cover crop to go longer. But we always have to make sure that we're balancing that with whatever cash crop we intend to plant in the spring uh, because you know, my goal would always be that we can maximize the benefit of the cover crop and we minimize the, any detrimental potential effect it could have on our cash crop because we want to make sure that we can get uh, as high a crop yield as, as we want to, as we would be in the absence of the cover crop. And so uh, a little bit depends on which crop you're going to plant, but, you know, for weed control, we really need to let that cover grow pretty long you know, in mm-hmm. central Iowa, we would need to let it grow typically to mid-May or so to get a lot of really good benefit from it. Um, the water quality benefits, we've realized a lot of those um, whenever we get rainfall. So if we can get that cover crop started in the early fall and we get some roots in the ground, and then um, through this kind of early spring period, I know that we've got kind of a forecast of a, a week or so of rain and maybe snow, ahead of us and having that cover crop out there growing will will make a world of difference as far as nitrogen loss. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and you know, as you move farther west, it, a lot of the benefits of cover crops you know, may actually come from you know, erosion control and that sort of thing, but farmers may want to actually terminate earlier than you would in Iowa just as, as part of a water retention uh, objective to make sure that the cover crop isn't actually depleting the subsoil moisture. Yes, and we typically don't worry about that here in Iowa, but this spring may be the spring where, you know, western Iowa might need to be treated a little bit more like our dry land uh, areas over in in the Dakotas and Kansas, actually, when it comes to managing that cover crop for moisture. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be an interesting spring to manage cover crops in, in various parts of Iowa this, this year. So you mentioned this a little bit, but... Uh, you said termination timing is going to be a little bit dependent on what crop you're planting into these cover crops with. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, if you're planting soybeans versus corn, uh, how would that affect the timing of termination? Yeah, so the uh, soybeans are, they're pretty easy, right? We plant soybeans at much higher seeding rates. Uh, We typically usually plant soybeans a little bit later than corn, uh, and soybeans are really tolerant of uh, high levels of residue. You know, I, I talk with people often who joke about 
all the different places that you could get a soybean to grow. Uh, and that's, that's pretty truthful, right? You don't need as, as perfect of seed soil contact, as perfect of seed depth with soybeans, right? We just want them, you know, generally covered with soil and they need to be out in the field. Yep. And so they are really tolerant of very high levels of residue as long as your planter can get through it. And the termination timing is not necessarily as important for soybeans. In fact, some people as of recent have been planting soybeans into green cover crops and then, you know, waiting a week or so uh, to kill that. I certainly wouldn't advertise that for someone who's just new to adopting cover crops. Uh, I would definitely advise that they... Um, terminate it at or before planting for soybeans Mm -hmm. but there's just a lot more flexibility there uh, for us and a lot fewer other management concerns associated with that whereas the corn um corn's a little bit uh more of like a kind of a prima donna crop right we want to make sure that we get good seed cell contact we have appropriate depth we got to have the right amount of nitrogen there for the corn early in the spring and there's a lot of uh potential pest issues as well as some, we call it the green bridge effect, where there are disease pathogens that can affect the rye. And when we go kill the rye, they can jump over to the corn if they're growing at the same time. So with corn, our best advice is to make sure that that cover crop is killed uh, at least a, a week. We normally say 10 to 14 days out from planting the corn. Um, but the real key is that you'd like that cover crop to be dead when you plant into it. Exactly. And as you mentioned with the green bridge effect in, in corn in particular, you, you can get a whole lot of pests coming in, whether that's various cutworms or armyworm species laying their eggs into the, the lush green cover crops, or as you move west into parts of Nebraska and Kansas, where a couple of years ago we ran into some big issues with uh, the wheat stem maggot moving from the rye into the corn and creating a lot of dead heart syndrome. Oh, see, I'm glad that we don't have the wheat stem maggot over in <laughs> Iowa. But, yeah, we, we have no shortage of sporadic pest issues. Um, so ev- it seems like every year somebody gets the army worm or the black cutworm problem. And the, the nice thing about those pests is that they're above-ground pests. Most of our uh, GM crops have some level of of maybe a little bit of suppression for them, if not control. Uh, And then because they're above ground pests, they're fairly easily controlled with a rescue insecticide treatment if they are a problem. But they're so sporadic, um, we we often don't see them. It's pretty pretty rare to see a, a level of those pests that is high enough that needs to be treated, which is a good thing for people who like to adopt cover crops. Exactly. Yeah, and then so if... If a grower with these differences and then the considerations around pests and diseases wanted to, needed to prioritize fields to terminate earlier versus later, it sounds like soybeans are, are the crop. If you're going to be planting soybeans into those fields, those would be the fields you would want to put on the back burner to, to prioritize those fields going into corn. Yeah, I would definitely, you know, when the weather's right, I would go and start my termination with fields that we plan to go to corn if we've got cereal rye right or or some type of perennial cover crop species or overwintering cover crop species in those fields and then definitely leave the soybean ones till a little bit later we're more likely to maybe let that 
rye grow to get some uh, weed suppression benefits from it. Uh That's not necessarily an every year thing, but it's more likely to happen if we let that rye get bigger. And we're not going to have the nitrogen and at least as many of the green bridge issues uh, with beans. Exactly. So now what are some of the best ways and considerations in actually terminating the cover crops this spring? Uh, well, there's several different ways to get it done. Uh, for most people, herbicide application is going to be the easiest, right, most effective uh, option available. There are definitely people who are experimenting with uh, doing things like uh, roller crimping um, or, you know, banded treatments, uh, just killing what's over the row and letting what's between the rows grow. Uh, but as a whole, a broadcast application of a, a herbicide like glyphosate is going to be sort of the gold standard for uh, terminating cereal rye. Exactly. Now, now, what typical rates on a per acre basis would you use of glyphosate? And it, does stage or, or biomass accumulation impact that at all? Yeah, so obviously... Just like with weeds, right, smaller plants are going to be easier to control, but we're uh, usually when we're terminating cereal rye, that termination timing is happening right at about the time when the rye growth is really going to start taking off. And so that can make controlling cereal rye a little bit more challenging. Um, One of the other things that can be challenging for us uh, is differences in uh, plant stage or height. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, oftentimes we see a lot of really nice fields that are pretty even, but if we've had like a fall nitrogen application or if there's any difference in kind of germination timing on those plants, we can get some size differences that can make it a little bit more challenging to get a really even kill across the field. Um, So the best practice, uh, we typically recommend a pound acid equivalent of glyphosate and so depending on your formulation that may be anywhere from like 28 fluid ounces 27 or 28 fluid ounces all the way up to it could be over 40 fluid ounces mm-hmm. if you've got you know more of the three pound acid equivalent product yep. so uh the pa- pound acid equivalent we always want to make sure our water is pre-treated with ams uh, that helps us overcome any hard hard water issues that we may have And then we want to make sure that uh, we know whether or not there's a surfactant already included, whether it's a loaded or partially loaded glyphosate, right? We just want to make sure everything's correct with that um, spray. Uh, Usually 15 gallon per acre is, is what people find a lot of success in using um, in the spring. And, and really it's, it's all about that, kind of the timing of application and the weather is probably the biggest driver of that even more so than plant size right a pound Mm -hmm. acid equivalent should be way more glyphosate than you actually need to kill uh, a cereal rye plant so it's mostly we're just trying to overcome any weather issues that we might have because we are typically cold Mm -hmm. and we may be cloudy and we might be wet in spring exactly we can't always wait just for that perfect day because there are too many things to get done yeah. So now sometimes or oftentimes broadleaf species are also present in, in the overwintering portion of cover crops. Uh, some, you know, oft, usually 
glyphosate does a pretty good job, but maybe a little bit inconsistent by itself, what would you recommend for those cover crops that contain broadleaf species? Yeah, for either uh, cover crops that are broadleaf species or if you have gaps in your uh, cereal rice stand where there are broadleaves coming through, like winter annual type species, Mm -hmm. uh, the use of another kind of partner burn down chemical like a 2,4-D or dicamba can be extremely effective and doesn't do anything detrimental really for the the use of the glyphosate, right? So it Mm -hmm. doesn't detrimentally affect your cover crop kill and it can provide you a little bit of a broader spectrum. Absolutely. So yeah, like you said, if there are any weed species coming through either due to gaps or a heavy weed pressure field, uh, adding 2,4-D or dicamba can absolutely help out with that and, and provide a cleaner field to go into at planting and early on in the season. So, yeah, that's that's what we like to see, right? Weed-free fields. Exactly. <laughs> so, Megan, just to, to kind of summarize everything in all, uh, you know, with this last spring, especially in Iowa, there's a, a wide variability in how cover crops may look this, this last spring. In areas where the derecho came through, not as many cover crops were planted as, as have been in the past, whereas the more drought-prone or drought-stricken areas, uh, especially northwest Iowa, uh, growth and establishment may have been impacted to a degree, but the spring we are seeing cover crops greening up a little bit earlier than than usual, and that's true all the way west through parts of Nebraska as well. And so as farmers are thinking about what they need to do or what they want their cover crops to do, whether it's erosion control, uh, soil health management, weed control, forage source, whatever it may be, uh, they may want to decide on how late or how early to to terminate the cover crop, where oftentimes the later termination is better for those objectives, but may negatively impact your cash crop that you're going to plant this spring. So to prioritize, you should really think about planting or terminating the cover crops in the cornfields at least 10 to 14 days prior to planting corn. And then you can put the soybean fields on the back burner just a little bit as they're a lot less sensitive to uh, the residue and planting into green cover crops, and then you can terminate those uh, either shortly before or shortly after planting. Uh, best way to term- terminate these cover crop fields is usually using at least a pound of acid equivalent with glyphosate, making sure it's conditioned and, and applied appropriately. If you have any broadleaf species within your cover crop, make sure you include either 2,4-D or dicamba to improve control as well as take care of any uh, weeds that you may have that that may be inching through. Is there anything I missed in that summary? You got it. Nailed it. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So as always, Be be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th of every month for new episodes. And until then, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Huda Media Production.